Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Jack Collins and it is less than seven days until Fulham kick off another Premier League campaign. It's come around very, very fast and we're here to dissect it. I am joined by the man behind the iron mask, art design wizard, Mr. Adam Fakarsen. Adam, how you doing, mate? Yeah, good, thanks, Jack. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. And everybody's favourite real owner of this club is Mr. Farrell Monk. It's never going to get old, is it? Uh, hello, everyone. No, never, never. It's never getting old. It's um, it's, it's a continual joke for forever and ever and ever now. How are you doing, my friend? You well? Yeah, very good. Very good. Um, looking eagerly... Um, anticipating another whirlwind season where what dramatic things may happen again. Um, they've got to do a lot to match the last time we are in the Premier League, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the drama you'd hope will be dialed down a notch, but uh, potentially our survival instincts dialed up a notch. I'm just going to start this by basically asking how you're feeling about the campaign. Faz, I'm going to throw it to you first. And it's just... What were your overall uh, overarching thoughts before before this kicks off? You know, seven days to go, and we're going to talk about Arsenal, and we're going to talk about transfers, and we're going to answer a load of questions. But just as a kind of general start, yeah, um, it's it's so interesting because obviously last time we went up into the Premier League, there was this genuine excitement. You know, we were we were um, quite positive after the you know the transfer window that we had and all the signings that we had, and we thought, wow, that we're being really ambitious. We signed some big names. Hopefully, we can. You know, we weren't really talking about relegation, and obviously that turned into an absolute shit show. Um, so this time round, our um, our uh, ambitions have been slightly dulled, uh, as it were. And you know, I feel like the pressure is off this time. And um, you know, going into the game next weekend against Arsenal, which is not exactly ideal, but I feel like we're in a much much better position. One because the pressure is off, and two, I feel like we, you know, under Scott Parker. We have someone who, you know, seems to be very tactically uh, tactically adept um, and he, he doesn't, he hasn't had a lot of new faces and there hasn't been this big overhaul in the squad that we, we've had in previous seasons. So, you know, the, um, the, the squad is stable and Scott knows, you know, what he needs, what he wants to do with the players. So, you know, that could be very, very positive, but, you know, <laughs> it could be very, very different come, you know, around three o'clock next Saturday, it could be another sort of rude awakening but you know I just want to go into it and try and enjoy it as much as possible um and hope you know the one big thing that I would like to see in the not too distant future is basically fans back in the stadium that's that's the that's the one thing I'm looking forward to yeah I was gonna I was gonna come on to this and AF I think do you think there's some sort of not dull on the shine of things but at least a little bit less trepidation I guess but because there's no fans there and because the whole thing starts behind closed doors does it feel a little bit like less real almost yeah it definitely feels less real to me I mean it's it would be a real shame if as uh, Faz said if fans don't make it back into the stadiums at any point because it would it would really yeah as you say dull down this whole potential season for us but there is definitely the positive that if fans aren't in there it does reduce that pressure you know you're not getting the fact that okay you might be going to some of these massive stadiums but they're not full of um, fans inside them but I think that really it's allowed us to we've had quite a short break in between you know, the end of the last season we can hopefully take some of that momentum through 
into the Premier League. And it might feel less of a step up because of that, because we might feel like, well, our last game is at Wembley. Scott's worked out how his team wants to play. If he can just move that straight into the Premier League, hopefully we'll see less of a shock to the system of the overhaul of the last time we were in the Prem as well. Um, I totally agree that I'm looking forward to this season because it's not been a complete over. I hope that we don't get that in the last week. Obviously, there's a few positions that will come on to that need filling, but the so far, the signings that we've made don't completely change the way that we play so that you can see where they're going to fit into the system. And I'm really looking forward to you know our first game on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tough opener, Baz, uh, against Arsenal, <laughs> FA Cup winners, Community Shield winners over Liverpool the other week. And they're a side very much on the up in transition, I suppose, under, under Mikel Arteta, but who have sort of consolidated what they had from last year and look like they're making sensible signings, in the same sort of way, really, sensible signings. You couldn't ask for a much more difficult opener, I think, because if this had been Arsenal of two years ago, you maybe would have fancied us to to nab a point. You would have fancied us to to go and beat them. But this side seems like a slightly different beast. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, I feel like they are a team on the up. Um, you know, they've got an up and coming manager, Mikel Arteta. He's finding his feet and you know, and slowly and slowly building up that confidence. Yeah, you're you're absolutely spot on that they've made you know, quite a few very sensible signings. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Willian and I think it's a bit crazy that Chelsea have decided to let him go. Um, and, you know, they, you know, what uh, strengthened in a couple of key areas, especially at centre-back, um, which is where they've kind of, you know, they've had the much maligned Mustafi playing there. So now, you know, maybe seeing much less of him and they've managed to hang on to some of their, their better players. And, you know, there's been lots of talk uh, about Aubameyang versus... Um, uh, Cyrus Christie or, or Dennis Adoy or Tim Ream and you know the the threat that comes from that but you know it, it we are probably facing Arsenal not at a good time you know they've had a you know a half competitive fixture um playing you know one of the best teams in the world in Liverpool very very recently and you know we don't know necessarily what what the Fulham squad have been up to and they're probably very tired because their you know their season only finished five or six weeks ago and they didn't really have any time to rest um so you know it is a very very difficult start for for Fulham um and but you know this is something that probably Scott Parker and his team have been and his especially his analysis probably been working on straight from the off um you know when the final whistle blew um at Wembley um you know that, that glorious night at Wembley about five or six weeks ago now um so you know, it, I I do believe that this squad is in a much better shape than two years ago, and I do I feel like we are in a much better shape to be playing an Arsenal team, regardless if they're a um, a wounded beast or or you know a team on the up. Um, you know, the 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 squad I feel like is in a good shape. We don't know what players are going to be available, what players are match fit. Um, but I feel like even if we haven't strengthened in the defensive areas, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a bit later, I feel like we're in a much better position of than a couple of years ago anyway so you know there's there's plenty of cogs to this Scott Parker Parker ball kind of system you know it's not it's it is based upon sort of defensive stability and you know you might criticize the fact that we haven't made any real sort of like defensive um, additions apart from Anthony Robinson but it's a whole you know we we have that whole kind of team aspect of the defense like you know we kind of de- defend from the front not just from the back so um I feel like there is a little bit of optimism here yeah I mean you look at the side that played against Palace two years ago in our in our season opener AF and Fabry, Chambers, Le Marchand, Brian, Seri, 
Scherler all started six six <laughs> new players in the starting lineup in that first game. You look at what the starting lineup is going to be for this season, and you'd think probably we're not going to see a new face start on the weekend. If if it's right now, it's staying as is. Yeah, definitely. I mean, <clears throat> you should never really start a season trying to bed players in. And Slav definitely made a point of saying he didn't feel that his players had a pre-season because we know that Fulham always do their business late. Um, again, yeah, you're right. We'll probably start with largely the same team that actually played at Wembley. Uh, I'd imagine as well, there has been what I would call a defensive addition, but they came in last season. Okay, they've only been made permanent now. But that's Harrison Reed. When we were actually playing in the Premier League last time out, I still don't feel until we move Chambers into that CDM position that we actually had somebody there screening the back four. Um, so now we do actually have Harrison Reed in there, likely to start the season. I'm feeling a lot more comfortable with that alongside Michael Hector, who's obviously played half a season with us, but been with the club for a whole season actually training there. So there's a less of a betting in process, more of a let's hit the ground running from... Um, you know, how well we've already done towards the end of last season post-lockdown. Yeah, um, I think there's something something really interesting is the fact that Fulham Fulham's additions and the fact that we haven't brought in any wingers, Faz, yet. And I'm not saying that we won't. And I know that we made, obviously, Nokar and Cavalero and Bobby Reed permanent. And you'd imagine that maybe Bobby Reed's role this year, considering we've brought in a load more centre midfielders, is going to be either as a kind of shadow striker or out wide on the left cutting in is the idea that Fulham might go 4-4-2 uh, and, and bring back the old Kit Simons diamond um, because Harrison Reed at the base of midfield, which would then include Lamina, uh, Angisa, Onoma, Kearney. There's always talk of, of Florentino Luis coming in as well, although I, I kind of see him as more of a six, more of a kind of Harrison Reed shadow than, than anything else. It does kind of make sense, especially if you then add to that the fact that we've bought an absolutely flying left back uh, and, the, and the kind of right back targets we've been looking at have been very attacking targets. There's part of me that thinks that Scott is, is looking at going 4-4-2 here. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's certainly not out of the question. I mean, the, the only way that I would love to see a diamond back if we can have Las Vegan Christensen circa 2014 uh, at the right of that diamond, because he was absolutely mustered there for that that six months that he was he was he there. Was and I thought I thought we'd uh, I thought Fulham had basically unearthed the new Messi, um, but obviously it didn't turn out that way. Um, you know, I, I feel like you know it would be a bit out of character to, for Scott Parker to change shape, you know, too massively. Um, you know, the, he, he there's very, he's very subtle in his changes, like for example deciding in between whether to play a doy in kind of like a reserved right back role or or you know go for um Christie in a more attacking uh kind of kind of way um than sort of like changing the entire shape of the system but it is quite surprising that we haven't brought in any wingers yet because we tend to sign so many every single transfer window the last four or five years um as, as Ben Jarman pointed out a few years ago we've got more right wingers than a Trump rally um one season um so I don't, I don't think we're going to expect too many surprises in terms of shape, especially coming up in a, you know, up against Arsenal, a very attacking team um, with loads of attacking talent. I think we're going to see a more sort of we're, we're going to have to have large parts of the game without possession, which I think Scott Parker's happy with. You know, we saw we saw in the playoff final. Um, I was I was watching the like full highlights of it, uh, like forty minutes worth yesterday, and you know I feel like Scott. The team was very happy 
to, especially in the second half of the game, to allow Brentford to have a lot more of the ball. And actually where a lot of our opportunities came from was actually winning the ball in, in winning the ball, not just high up the pitch, but also with a low block as well, and and using the wingers to to tuck in and and stifle spaces in the centre of of the pitch. But then everyone moving as a team, the midfield across when they got the ball out to wide areas to stifle any sort of attacks and stifle any chances that their wingers were getting one on one against our fullbacks. And I think that that is probably going to stay the same. Um, but it was it was quite interesting watching back the playoff final and how many times that we have said that Fulham don't counter-attack last season. And then on that game, we actually launched three, four, five counter-attacks, especially straight from Rodak, um, hands straight, kicking the ball up uh, past the halfway line. And that really exposed, that really, really exposed Brentford and actually led towards the Joe Bryan free kick. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw something like that next weekend, um, especially if we are happy to sit without the, without possession and, and then basically playing, maybe, you know, we might see Knockhart starting, we might see, you know, don't be surprised to see, maybe it's 4-4-2 and maybe don't be surprised to see Abubakar Kamara starting. You know, we don't know if Alexander Mitrovic caused himself lots of damage playing on that hamstring injury at the playoff final, he might be out, you know, he could have been out for a couple of months. We actually don't know what his, what his fitness is like. So we might actually see, you know, all of our pacey players playing and trying to expose any sort of uh, gaps in behind the Arsenal defence. Yeah, no, I was thinking this and I was about to say something that was kind of key. And, and yes, we did launch some counterattacks and we did play far more transitionally in that, in that playoff final. Um, but without Mitrovic there, because, Obviously, you, you don't play on the same pace with a striker who isn't as quick, and I think that's not to say that Mitrovic isn't crucial. He's going to be he's going to be the talisman again. He's going to be the man who who, who leads this side forward if we are going to to say, stay up. But it is one of those things to consider that if we are going to start to play transitionally, maybe the way that that works is by playing someone alongside Mitrovic to allow him to just bring others into play a little bit more. Um, and I thought this with the kind of addition of Lamina because. What we've gained is, and you know, with Frank coming back, we've gained two midfielders who are able to kind of eat ground up a little bit more, who are mm. able to to drive forward, uh, it, which is something we kind of missed a little bit last year. I think Josh Onoma was the only player who really looked to get ball to feet and drive at the heart of defensive. I think we'll have that back with Lamina and Angisa. So it's an interesting development, I think, in terms of how we're going to play. And I'm really excited to see what Scott does with this squad now AF and I think that maybe if you said this to to a lot of people in in March or in February they'd be a bit more like reticent to say that they'd be excited to see what Scott's done but since the fact that you know we bounced back from those two defeats after lockdown finished uh, and ended the season so strongly and went on that full run all the way to the Premier League I think more people are, are willing to to back Scott and I think that the club giving him a new three-year deal is probably the, the best example of that. Definitely. Um, I mean, he, I actually watched the interview with him post him signing his new contract, Scott Parker, and he mentioned how, you know, he wanted the club's commitment, obviously, but he's looking towards a long-term vision. Now, if he has that vision in his mind and it actually does involve, you know, a target man like Mitrovic and he wants pacey players in behind to be able to counter-attack a little bit more, he did start to obviously implement that style towards the end of last season. But I think it's going to be, as Faz said, I think even more important in the Premier League. We're going to have to eat up some of that pressure. And Scott has been the best manager that we've had at doing that for the last two, three years. Um, we saw Ranieri try to do it, but it didn't work particularly well. Um, but if Scott can actually create a team that can eat, eat up pressure, and as you say, with some of those midfielders that can drive forwards, 
we've got a lot of those as well. So in the lights of Lamina, in the lights of Angisa, we've also got, you know, as you, as you said, Josh Onoma in there. Plus, there could be more coming in. Um, they're all looking to drive forward. Um, I'm still a little bit worried about the winger situation, uh, especially looking towards, you know, the depth of it. We've got Caviero, we've got Knockhart, um, we've got AK, but I still see AK more as, as a striker um, and actually kind of playing back up to Mitrovic in that instance. But I'm still worried about the depth there. So hopefully we can bring in a few more players because I do think that's going to be crucial when it comes to actually relieving that pressure and getting further up the pitch. We can't do it all through the middle because some teams just put a low block in. We're going to have to get wide a little bit. When I see some of the names we're linked to, um, that worries me a little bit. Um, in the lights of Harry Wilson, isn't necessarily the quickest player for getting us back up the field. He's more trickery and definitely free kicks as part of that. Um, so maybe he is going to rely a little bit more on the likes of maybe Anthony Robertson, Joe Bryan, uh, Cyrus Christie, hopefully not too much Dennis Adoy at right back this season, and maybe other, any other right backs we bring in to actually relieve that pressure out wide. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're going to do questions after the break, but I feel like considering we're talking about Parker, this is probably quite pertinent. Um, Faz, Eddie FFC says, how far do you stick with Scott if this season goes to the dogs again? Or do you stick with him the whole way a la Villa and Dean Smith? I've been saying for quite like a long time, especially when questions were raised of Scott Parker towards the end of last season, that, you know, regardless, I think we should stick with him. And my position hasn't really changed. I think he's become, you know, very a lot more popular in his side of the slot, the doubters, after, you know, a very successful playoffs and what I would consider a successful campaign for a rookie manager in his first full season. And we can see the potential in him, especially someone who's so tactically astute. And he's obviously got this squad, the management of the squad very well. And, you know, he's he's very good at changing the mentality of, of this squad. That he's got all the hallmarks of, you know, what po- possibly he could be, you know, a very successful manager in the long run. So, you know, I feel like we should hang on to him as long as possible. And he certainly loves Fulham Football Club. And that comes that comes out in the way that he talks about the club and the way he talks about the squad and, you know, the setup and, and everything that's there. And he's obviously got a lot of money to play with. You know, he must have a very good um, analysis team and a lot of support, a very good support network behind him. So there's no reason why he would probably want to leave unless it's a complete disaster. And, you know, this is, this is someone that, um, that could have a long, successful, legendary career at Fulham. And even if Fulham get relegated this year, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world um, because now we've got a manager who's got experience in the championship, can get us back up and could keep a lot of our best players together. Um, and, you know, we've seen it time and time again with other clubs that they come up to the Premier League and they don't do so well. And then they come back down and they hang on to their manager and then they come back up again. The, you know, the prime example of which is Sean Dyche at, at Burnley. And, you know, they you see how well they're doing now. They finished, what, seventh or eighth last season, which is still a remarkable achievement, you know. Um, but that only comes from that stability. And as we've seen, if there's one thing that unsettles football club, and this is cert- I'm certainly looking at Fulham, is instability. Um, and the more we can hang on to our best players and the more we can hang on to what I consider a, a, a very good manager with a lot of potential, the better. Okay. All right. Well, we'll probably come back to Scott Parker a little bit later. There are there are many questions. We're going to try and run our way through as many as possible. And um, but before that, is going to have a little break, uh, and I'm going to hand you over to Mr. Sammy James. 
have you got hairy balls? Well, if so, listen up. And if you don't, listen up anyway, because you might know someone that does. Fulhamish is brought to you by Manscaped, who are the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offer precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Yes, it rhymes. Manscaped have just launched in the UK. For years, us men have gone without the right tools for the job. You can be one of the first men in the country to experience their life-changing products. We even have a review here from our very own Farrell Monk, who has tested one of the Manscaped kits. I've used the Manscaped lawnmower, and quite frankly, my balls have never felt better. That's right. If Farrell's a fan, then you will be a fan too. Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team have perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 in the UK. Now, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code FULHAM at manscaped.com that's 20% off and free shipping with the code fulham at manscaped.com your balls will thank you and we can get on with the podcast well thank you sammy uh that was that was informative should we say boys yeah it was different <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't quite what i was expecting um but alas we have um we found our way and if you want to hear more of sammy he will actually be back on thursday uh with fulhamish extra where he's talking about fpl uh, with George Singer and Dara Curran, our two FPL gurus. Uh, and also Dom will be chatting to Arsenal fan Harry Simeu from Chronicles of Aguna. So plenty to be looking forward to on this week's Fulhamish Extra as we go back to two podcasts a week. But um, for now, you can enjoy Sammy just reading out that ad read. Uh, I've listened to it three times already and, and ha- having a really good time. So alas, right, let's get on to some questions. And we will start... Um, with Adam, oh, actually, no, we will start with one This specifically for you, Farrell, because you know more about this than anybody else that I know. Uh, this is from Richard Soul Bamba, who says, what's the deal with the ballot system for tickets? I hand you over to a member of our Fulham Supporters Trust, Mr. Farrell Monk. Yeah, unfortunately, it's quite a complex issue and there's um, there's so many moving parts to it. So, and well, and I should really sort of say that, you know, nothing is certain at the moment. There's still some decisions to be made, you know, thankfully, um, by the supporters trust, um, you know, we have this guideline going into the club and, you know, we, we, we talk to various members of the senior team about various issues. And one, one of the people that have been speaking to is the ticket office. And um, they've been very, they had, to be fair, they have been very, very good and at communicating with us and, and trying to keep us abreast of everything that's going on. And um, like I said, the, there's so many moving parts to it, um, you know, and the, the Premier League and the club are very much have their hands tied based upon what the government guidelines are at the moment. And as we know, that that hasn't really been set at the moment. And it's really down to what... Um, what they will allow and what they don't, what they won't allow. What we do know is obviously that pilot events have, have started already. Um, there was rugby yesterday at, at Twickenham, uh, Twickenham Stoop for Harlequins. There was the Snooker World Championship final. They've been starting letting fans back in for cricket. Um, and these are all pilots at the moment. They might decide that it's too unsafe and uh, for the time being because they were they were looking at the October start time. But in terms of um, a balloting system, in inverted commas, what the club ha- are tending towards is basically saying that all season ticket holders or current season ticket holders in inverted commas will be entered into a ballot for each game. And um, and uh, if you, well, if you would like to 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 get have a ticket, you have to say yes, I would like a ticket for that for that game. 
um, you'll be given the option to apply for one um, and then at some point before the before the game you will be notified that you get a ticket and then the ticket will be they're trying to work on systems to make sure that all the ticketing systems are totally contactless so no printout tickets it would just be uploaded to a smartphone via an app or whatever which i know creates a lot of problems for some people but um you know i do not envy the position that the club are in to be honest this is a very very difficult situation that they're having to manage but you know there has been lots of questions in between us and the club and you know the club have, have tried to ask us what what is the best solution how do we how do we manage the situation so that as many fans as possible get to see as many games as possible next season and how do we spread that out to, to many fans because obviously there you know if you are a season tick holder it doesn't it doesn't really necessarily mean you're a bigger meta fan than someone who can't go to all games or uh, can only get to membership so we're you know we're sort of like suggesting to the club perhaps that a certain amount of tickets could go to season tick holders and a certain amount of tickets can go to members for example um but again none of this stuff has been decided yet um and the sort of the the schematics of how it exactly work is is still up in the air um but yeah there's still so many things to things to talk about as well in regards to it um you know we we actually don't the club and don't even know how many fans will be even be allowed into the stadium. There's some very interesting sort of uh, discussions around, um, you know, each stadium around the country is very, very different as we, as we know, uh, an, an old Trafford or a Medeski stadium is very, very different in, um, in comparison to Craven Cottage and Craven Cottage with its interesting features means that we don't, we're probably thinking that, the amount of fans that we allowed into the stadium is as low as 2000. So, you know, to manage people's expectations, there might be a situation that we won't be, you know, any, you might not be able to go and see Fulham for quite some time if we are sort of at limited capacity throughout the entire season. But hopefully that will change. Yeah, Faz, can can I just sort of ask a couple of questions in, in terms of how, and I know, like again, I don't envy the people trying to run this or, or trying to work out the schematics for this because it is just such a complicated task and, and, and one that is almost thankless because there's always going to be more people disappointed mm. than there are you know, people who are happy. But in terms of, is it going to be just a, a loose ballot for every game? So it effectively, if you were just unbelievably lucky, you could just win every, you could go to every game and someone might get none. Or is it going to be done over the course of you apply for, you can only apply for a certain amount of games or, you know, how, how is it going to work in trying to, trying to balance all of these things out? So there are, there are several options that, that the club are, are um, exp- like experimenting with and having to decide around. So for example, there is that one option where it will be straight ballot every single game and it's just luck luck of the gods luck of the luck of luck of the Brian McBrides that you will be able to get a, you know a, a ticket for loads of games or, or a few games um so the, the there's another option that would be that you apply for um a group of games for example and that could be you know I'm just musing out loud that it could be okay you apply for groups of games in, in three so um Arsenal Leeds and and um Villa for example you you might apply for those um I mean if you don't get them then you can then apply for a different group but if you do get them then you don't apply for them for that one for example the other option is that the straight ballot is um again on single games but the problem but if you are successful for one game you're not allowed to apply for the next three games for example so that the spread of fans is is greater um so 
I think that the club are trying to, you know, keep as many fans happy as possible. But again, it's it's so difficult and there's going to be so many people that are going to be disappointed, unfortunately. But, you know, credit to the club that they are trying to get it right. And um, it's going to be something that's going to be very, very difficult to to get absolutely, absolutely correct. Um, and, you know, there yeah. is the limit. The it's other, not like they've done it before, is it? Yeah, exactly. The other limited factor that probably people don't, don't, you know, don't consider is that they are limited by the technology that's out there as well. You know, we, we know that, that Fulham deal with Ticketmaster directly as, as, as our sort of supplier. And there's only so much that they can do. They might not have the capability to do any of these things. And it just might have to be just the easiest solution, uh, unfortunately. But it remains to be seen. We've still got some time on our side, thankfully, because, um, you know, the absolute earliest that it can happen is the beginning of October. And that might be it. That might be pushed back. Who knows what's going to happen in a few weeks' time, to be honest. Okay. All right. Let's move it on back to Fulham. But thank you. And we will obviously um, keep you updated as as much as we can of, of how these developments go. And it's, uh, it's always nice to have a man on the inside. So so thank you, Farrell. Um, I'm going to move to you, AF. And Adam Bright asks, is it the right move for Alfie Mawson to go on loan? Now, this isn't completely confirmed at the time of recording, uh, but he has been spotted outside Bristol City's training ground. So it looks more and more likely that it's just going to be a done deal. Yeah, so I, I actually feel quite sorry for Alfie Mawson. You know, obviously he's potentially uh, got knees made of glass, ankles made of glass, the rest, and there could be issues there. But um, looking at our centre-back options, if Alfie Mawson isn't there, I don't necessarily, other than Tim Ream, know who I would like to pair with Michael Hector. I saw Alfie Mawson as a potential for that spot. Now, the fact that we he's been spotted at Bristol, he's likely to be going there, suggests to me that we've got a centre-back incoming. I don't I don't actually think that Fulham will let this deal go through unless we have a ready-made replacement because it will leave us a little bit too light in that position already. But I do think for his development, it's actually the right move to do and from Fulham's perspective, providing we have someone in because you could probably get Alfie Mawson back to his best, ready to come back to us without having to necessarily risk him in the Premier League and pin our hopes on him necessarily. I still think he's a really good player when he is fully fit. But, you know, those opportunities have been far few um, for us to actually see the best of him at Fulham. Yeah. Farrow, is this just a, an indication that Scott just doesn't really trust the man? Yeah, unfortunately, I do think that's the case. Um, I mean, as we saw towards the end of last season, that um, when we have decided to bring on defensive reinforcements, we've actually seen the return of Maxime Lamarchand, who, um, well, in, instead of Alfie Mawson coming off the bench. And I can't, I, you know, I, I mean, I can't really remember if it was because um, Mawson was injured or anything, but um, you know he has tended to favour have put it bringing on Maxime Lamarche on with ten minutes to go, rather rather than our man from um, we bought from Swansea. Um, but I, I do kind of agree that we probably it won't go through until a centre back, another centre back, or defensive sort of reinforcements come through. Or you know we still have the option of you know man like Dennis Adoy filling in at centre back. Don't rule that one out. I know that some people especially in this group, aren't the hugest fans, for sure. Just just really don't want to see that. I, I mean, I like Dennis Lodes. Uh, I don't think that there's any there's any ill will towards him from anyone here. I'm just not sure he's a centre-back. And if he was going to play centre-back, you'd want him on the right-hand side of a duo rather than the left, yeah. uh, which is, funny enough, where Michael Hector plays. So I, I, I think, unless there's an injury to Hector... We're not going to see Dennis there that much, um, but we will we will keep rolling because there's loads of questions. Adam says, if we're going to survive, who do you expect to be the three teams worse than us? 
Well, that's a difficult one. Uh, I, I have to start off with hoping it's Villa. Wow. <laughs> I mean, there's no, no, no punches pulled here. No, no if, it, if it's, I'll expand on the answer, but if it, if it starts with Villa, great. I'd probably say, I think the Southampton um, still might be in trouble again this season. And then you're looking at the teams that kind of came up with this. Um, I don't think that Leeds necessarily will, but I could worry for a West Brom there. They are known as a bit of a yo-yo team, so I would have to hope that they are a little bit worse than us um, next season. It, but then you you, see, you always see the teams that you, you think will do it. Bournemouth would have been the one last season. We would have thought they would have been fine in the league, but they just really start to struggle. And, you know, that momentum doesn't stick with them. So there will be a team that's kind of a surprise out of them, but I just really hope that if we do survive Villa managed to get rid of <laughs> Farrell do you harbour the same resentment towards Aston Villa I don't I don't I mean I would I I, I couldn't care less who's who, who who goes down in particular in this league and you know the only one I'd really want to see go down is Chelsea but we know that's not going to happen um um but you know I think the I do agree that Southampton for sure would probably be one of one of our sort of rivals for it they haven't they haven't really um, they haven't really sort of like strengthened in the areas that they're losing. Obviously, they've, they've lost Reed and Lamina and Hoiberg now. And so they only really have um, Romeo to play in that sort of like defensive um, defensive midfield position. So, so that could be a real sort of uh, problem area for them. Um, the other, you know, the other one I would probably think that maybe West Ham, they're a, they're a club really in shambles at the moment. I don't really rate David Moyes as a particularly top manager and, it could be, you know, that it's been a bit of a slow slide for them the past three or four years. Um, we might see a classic second season syndrome for Sheffield United. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily rule that out in particular. They haven't really done any real strengthening. They obviously lost Dean Henderson, uh, who's gone back to Manchester United. Um, so I do feel like there are, but it's going to be close. It's always going to be close, but I don't feel like there's any sort of like team that will be a complete um shambles this this season i think the relegation battle is going to be uh quite a good one <laughs> if you if you can call it that but hopefully fulham aren't in there I think you're both mad, by the way. I think you're both insane. Like <laughs> Southampton after since since like uh, since the nine nil had something like the fourth best record in the Premier League in since lockdown. Hassan Hoot has turned that squad around. Yes, I think their midfield depth is a slight worry, and I think they were going thought they were going to sign Weston McKenney, but. Will Smallbones come in there and, and been a bit of a revelation? JWP's in there, obviously. Oriel Romeo. I think they will sign one or two more uh, in the middle there before before the season is out. But I, I can't see Southampton. I, I think Southampton would be closer to running a European spot than being in a in a, in a relegation scrap. That's I mean, that's how highly I rate Hasenu and 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 how highly I think of his squad. I think they are massively on the up. If I'm being perfectly honest, what you did though, say Faz, I agree with is is West Ham. I think West Ham could be in real trouble, and I don't know if you see anyone seen the goals that they conceded in their preseason friendly yesterday, but it was an absolute shambles in terms of how they defended, how they're playing, and the club just seems to be rotten from the top to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And and you think that maybe it's just one of those times where the club needs a full reset almost, and mm-hmm. and I think that relegation might be one of the only ways that that happens um i'm reasonably worried for west brom uh they, again they don't have too much money they just bunk most of their transfer budget on grady diangana who's a very very talented player um but they need loads of reinforcements and they don't have any money 
Uh, I thought that squad was quite poor, to be honest, in terms of the squads that have come up from the championship. I think it's the weakest by some distance. Uh, they have some, you know, a real sense of, of togetherness, but they stumbled over the line in so many ways last year. And I think that without reinforcements, they could be in real trouble. Um, I also think Brighton and Palace, uh, either edge of that derby, could be two teams to keep an eye on. I think mm. Brighton, I like the way Brighton play and I like Graham Potter a lot. Um, but you look at that squad, you look at Aaron Moy just randomly going off to China, uh, which I thought was really weird. And and loads of bits and bobs going on around Brighton that I thought maybe maybe they might be in trouble. But uh, we will see. We'll see. There's, there's, there's lots to develop. But I can't believe you've both at Southampton in there. I'm, I'm shocked. We'll see well, next season, eh? <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's it's going to be any one of ten teams or any three of ten teams, pretty much. You know, we'll end up I, the the one that yeah. the one that feels does fill me with dread is Crystal Palace because whilst Roy is at the helm, I don't want them to see. I just don't want to see them fail at all because this could be Roy's yep. last job in football and I really don't want him to end on a whimper. No, it, it, I completely agree with you. I completely agree. Right. Uh, one from one of our own here. Jack Kelly says, who are some realistic centre-back targets for Fulham AF? I'll start with you. Realistic centre-back targets. Uh, I'd really like Chris Smalling. Um, it's gone a little bit quiet over the last couple of weeks on the Chris Smalling rumours, but I would see him as somebody that I would pin most of my hopes on. Wow. It's a, mm. it's a big, a big open, but I, I quite like it. Uh, what about you, Faz? Um, the one that really sticks out to me that I've, I've wanted to grab is Ben Godfrey from Norwich. Um, I think he's, he's, he's got some talent, that kid. Um, he's a very good ball playing centre back, which, which is something that we need. Um, he's got a lot of potential. He's quite young. He has been touted to go to some bigger clubs, especially in Europe. Um, but I'd love us to take a punt on him. But the, the problem is the last time we, we took a punt on the, on a relegated Premier League team, um and picked up their sort of up and coming centre back. It was Alfie Mawson and that didn't go so well. But you know, I feel like Ben Godfrey is a is different gravy in that regard. Yeah, I mean I, I like both of these shouts to be honest. Uh, I think they're quite nice. Obviously been been linked with Martin Hinteregger, Farrell. And uh, mm-hmm. I know that Archie's a Archie's a big fan. <laughs> yeah. Um when I when I did mention it to him, he was he was so excited and pulled out his his hinty shirt from his backpack to show me. So he would absolutely love that, um, but I don't. I just don't think that that is an option for us. Um, Frankfurt didn't have the best season last year, but they're still knocking in the upper echelons of the Bundesliga to come to to take the risk and the punt on coming to a newly promoted team in the Premier League um, would be a, quite a turnaround. But you know, we might be able to offer wages that that the German team are not able to yeah yeah uh, the one thing the one player i'd quite like is Ferro from benfica uh, they've obviously brought in jan vertonghen uh, and ruben diaz is very much the the potential star in inverted comments uh commas in in their ranks a center back but actually his partner Ferro is i think the better player uh, and he is the man that i would be looking to steal um while we're on benfica uh florentino luis has been linked for a couple of weeks now uh, with us, it looks like Fulham have offered a kind of two million loan fee and a twenty odd million option to buy at the end of it. He's a very similar player to Harrison Reed Farrell, and I'd be interested to know your thoughts because it looks like we're creating some sort of midfield depth here, uh, and I think that maybe this is you know there's a question here about it, but I'd just like to get you on on Florentino first. Um, I unfortunately I don't know too much about Florentino Luis. Um, you're probably in a much better position to to talk about it. But the one thing I can say is is um, with 
McDonald's going into sort of the um, uh, sort of, you know, only use the bit part player. We think Stephanie Johansson is probably going to to leave as well. We don't want to be stuck in the situation that we have, unfortunately, in the last couple of years is with um, injuries that, you know, we've ended having to chop and change our midfield, which is such a key area for Fulham, um, that we just don't have that strength and depth anymore. And I mean, you know, as as much as I love Stefan Johansson and, much, and Kevin McDonald in this squad, you know, I don't think it's going to be right um, for them to be starting if we have um, many injuries. You know, we saw towards the middle part of last season, we were absolutely just destroyed in that centre midfield slot. And, you know, there was, we had having to play Matt O'Reilly um, coming off the bench and then going off again, I think it was it was against Reading, I want to say, you know, having to, and Luca Della Torre. It was, yeah. And Luca Della Torre playing as well, you know, and having to utilise what was essentially our seventh and eighth um, uh, centre midfielders in the pecking order is not a situation that we want to be in, um, in the Premier League. Um, but, you know, it, it's like Slavisa said when we came up the first time round, you know, we are buying a lot of players, but we have to increase that quality of player. And perhaps Luis is something is raising to that next level of, um, up from, you know, someone like Harrison Reed or, or um, um, well, he certainly would be an upgrade from, from Harry Arter, for example, who we don't, who we can't call upon. Um, but, yeah. you know, I, I can't really say much about what Luis will bring, bring to the squad if it's actually true. Yeah, I, I mean, I will, we'll take it on for, from there. And, and at Niffy Peters says, what well, do you think the main midfield three is going to be, AF? So I guess this comes over to you. Yeah, this is a bit of a gamble, really, because I'm, I'm looking at our midfield options and it, it we're expecting some of them to leave, right? So I'm going to discount uh, Jean-Michel Serri and there's been no mention of him really in any plans. I'm pretty sure that he's not going to be here next season. So my main midfield three, assuming that everybody else is there and excluding the potential signing of Luis, uh, I would probably think it's going to be Harrison Reid and Gisa, and then it's really a toss-up between Josh Onema and Tom Kearney. I think that Tom Kearney will get the nod because he is you know, still the captain of our squad. He's got an undeniable quality on his day. And I think if you do kind of have that, I'll call it a double pivot of um, Zambo and Reed. that's a lot more balanced than how we started the season last time. Um, so I'd probably go with those three. Yeah. Farrell? It's so difficult to know, but um, it. I mean, you can't not start um, Zambo. We know how good he is. I think that we will still continue to see a six, an eight and a ten rather than two sixes and a ten. Um, you know, like we saw... To, you know that we've pretty much seen the last last season with you know as the eight being Harry Arter from time to time or Josh Onoma when when Kenny is fit and I feel like that's probably how it's going to continue I, I really like Tom Kenny playing this kind of like left-sided 10 and picking you know picking up spaces in between defense and midfield and really unsettling and I think it works from a defensive point of view as well so you know I think it probably will will end up being Anguissa Onoma and Kearney, but I don't. We don't know how match fit Anguissa is, so don't be surprised. It might be Reed, Onoma, and Kearney in that midfield three, you know. Um, but obviously, the added thing is that we've now got Lamina into the ranks as well, so they they all offer very different things. And you know, don't don't rule out rule out that we might have different combinations of 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 midfield three from one game to the next. You know, one game we might see there's you know Anguissa. Onomar and Kearney in the next game we might see Reed, Lamina and Kearney or Onomar in, in a more advanced positions uh, depending on the opposition we're facing. Yeah I, I mean I think that what 
if if this comes to pass and and if Florentino does sign, I think what it would leave us with is two sixes, that pure destroyer sixes in Reed and Florentino, two eights, ball carrying kind of transitional players in Lamina and Anguissa, and then two kind of tens who can play a little bit deeper in in Onoma and Kearney. And I would imagine that what what Scott will do is then alter his midfields to make things work. You might you might see you know, a six and two eights, for example, to put this, you know, ag- aggressively simplistically, mm. you know, you might see that in a, in a game where we're a bit more under the cosh and we, we're looking to to transition on the break a bit more. You might see Lamina and Anguissa play next to each other in front of a Harrison Reed, for example. And, and they, just because of their ability to carry the ball and drive up the field and get us out of our own half a little bit more. Whereas in games that we're going to dominate possession a bit more in, in games against teams around us, you'd imagine that it might be more of a traditional 6, 8 and 10, which would allow Kearney or Onoma to, to f- play a little bit more between the lines and, and try and create things a bit more holistically, if you will, rather than rather than just trying to smash and grab it. Um, but it, it takes us on to another question uh, from Ethan, who says, on what basis do so many Fulham fans rate Anguissa? Is it because he won a couple of Man of the Match awards when we were already relegated? Uh, I'll start with you, Adam. No, it's not that. It's it's his last season in Spain. You know, he's he's ranked among some of the best midfielders in that league. We already saw halfway through the season that Real Madrid was starting to look at him um, as a potential um, midfield replacement for, you know, some, some of the likes of Tony Kroos and Modric. You know, they, they, they don't look at just anybody. He obviously was impressing over in that league. I tuned into a couple of Villarreal games and he seemed to absolutely boss them. We saw how he bossed them towards, you know, the end of our Premier League stint. And also, he seems to have some kind of rapport with Scott Parker. He actually said during the end of that Premier League season, you know, he really does appreciate the coach. And, you know, in his kind of goodbye statement when he went out on loan, he said thank you to Scott Parker for putting that faith in him. He's still a youngish midfielder. So if we do put that faith in him, I think he's got the higher glass ceiling out of the rest of our midfielders. He's the one with the class to probably um, stand out. He's he's probably also trying to use Fulham as a bit of a stepping stone club, which isn't always a particular problem if he's willing to perform at the highest level that he can do. Uh, I just think he has to be in that team um, based upon his performances last season in Spain. Yeah, no, I think you're completely right. I mean, it's such an interesting one where you know, Villarreal had, had such an interesting side and and Bruno Soriano was there coming to the end of his career and uh, Vincent Abora, who obviously played for Leicester for a while, but has really done his best work outside the UK. And Zambo was kind of a mainstay. I think he started 28 of 38 games for Villarreal. He was in that time, I think he was also suspended for one and, and injured for one. So he started 28 from 36 in a side that went on to finish in the Europa League spots in Spain. And look, I know that La Liga is a little bit different to the Premier League and it's all you know, slightly edged in the fact that the transition from one league to another isn't always perfect. But the fact that he was so good um, for Villarreal and, and was such a key cog in, in their drive towards you know he finished fifth in the end they're a very very good side and and the fact that they wanted him back for their Europa League campaign this year and and to really kick on suggests that he was a player that that was of of, of real value to them and I think that if Parker can harness that then we've got ourselves a real real player and 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 I think that it's one of those things where lots of people have written off Anguissa because he went away which is fair enough you know he didn't want to play in the championship and and ultimately, that's not a sign of someone who's like, oh, I'm going to you know, live and die for this club. But ultimately, if he comes back from that loan, is a better player. He's still young and can and, and can dominate in the Premier League. That could be the difference for us between survival 
and relegation. I think I think he is that good. Last two questions. Um, Jason says, seeing rumours of Adamola Lookman on loan from RB Leipzig. Uh, thoughts, uh, Faz? I'll come to you first. Yeah, I, 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 I'm. I like this target. Um, I haven't seen a huge amount. Obviously, he's he was in uh, the RB Leipzig team. Uh, but he was, you know, he was never going to get ahead of, you know, Timo Werner, for example. I, you know, that, and he was kind of like a used a bit part player. Um, he was used a lot more for Everton, and Everton fans really liked him. Uh, speaking to an Everton mate of mine um, the other day about him, and you know, he was disappointed to see him go as well. Um, and you know, he's he offers something a bit different from our current sort of wingers, in the sense that he's young and 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 energetic rather than the you know we have some quite experienced um wingers at the, at the squad at the moment you know I would consider Kamara quite experienced now and Cavalera is quite experienced but Knockhart's been knocking around quite a lot um already and Cubano's been around for a while so I feel like Lookman offers something different on the wings and you know he's a hard worker as well on the wings which is what Scott Parker wants this system he really demands a lot from are wide players and and I feel like he does fit into that but it's it's an interesting one whether he'll feature every game or whether he'll be used as a as a bit part player or whether that Scott Parker can coach him to be better throughout the season um it might be the way that it will go with that one yeah uh, yeah I was talking to a friend of mine this week who who is very good friends with Tyler Adams, who was RB Leipzig's uh, Champions League hero in in the quarterfinals uh, and he was saying that Lookman is often like the best player in training, but, you know, because he hasn't started too many games, because he hasn't got a, you know, a real feel for it. He's he's a little bit shy. He's lacking a little bit of confidence when it comes to the pitch. And I think that that's something that, I mean, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? I mean, you can, if he comes in and gets a, a run of games under his belt and, and really does start to kick on, then we might see something quite special. And he's obviously got the talent, but equally a player who you know, is a confidence player and is lacking in that at the moment, might not be the best man to throw into a relegation scrap. Yeah, it can be definitely difficult if you've got someone who is low on confidence, they're coming in and we're probably not going to be on the front foot for most games. He probably isn't going to start most games for us. But it's also about uh, settling in location as well. So, you know, if he's gone over to Germany, he's maybe found that a little bit difficult to settle, didn't get in the team, maybe coming back uh, to the English league where he did have success with Everton. I know that it was only a few kind of, bit part appearances for Everton but I was impressed every time I've seen him play um, I think he could actually get that experience back in Premier League under his belt I could also he's very adaptable so if he can play on the left wing can play on the right wing almost anywhere across our front three I think that's definitely something good to have in our arsenal um, maybe as a backup to the likes of you know Cabano, Caviero, Knockhart and Kamara, but I think he'd probably work his way into that um, set up quite well at Fulham. Yeah, he, I mean, he was also born in Wandsworth, so like you say, you know, coming home, <laughs> uh, coming very close to home <laughs> would would probably be a, a thing. I, I think Lookman is one of those players who is probably better than all of our wingers already, um, but the fact that he is low on confidence means that he might take a little while to settle. But I think if you did get him to settle right and it did work, then he's the kind of player that would start almost every week if he actually, you know, found himself a vein of form because he is that talent. Um, but let's ru- pull things around right the way around um, to next week again to, to finish things off. And loads of questions about this, but I'm basically just going to ask you both to give me a starting 11s for, for the Arsenal game based on the squad as is now. 
Um, so, Farrell, I will start with you. Okay. Um, so, I would love to have Sergio Rico back, but unfortunately, we've got um, Matt Rodak. Um, no, I love Matt Rodak, and um, I was a bit disappointed that he didn't get a player of the season, actually, but, you know, it was very tight. Uh, so, yeah, Matt Rodak, um, I would... I. I would probably start with Cyrus Christie at right back um, and then Ream and Hector centre-backs and then left-back Joe Bryan. Um, obviously, question marks as to whether he'd be outed by Anthony Robinson, but I don't think that's going to happen straight away. We'll see how that goes. Um, on the right, um, considering that um, he does fit into the system, um, I'm going to go with Anthony Knockhart. Um, and Actually, no, I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to say Kamara on the right-hand side. Um, and then in the six, I'll have uh, Anguissa. In the eight, I'll have Onoma. In the 10, I'll have Kearney. And on the left-hand side, I will go for Bobby Decker, Dover Reed, and then up top, uh, Alexander Mitrovic. But obviously, we don't know about what the injury situation is going to be like. Um, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm going quite conservative to be honest. I think, I think that's a reasonably offensive midfield trio, but I'll check it to AF. What do you reckon? Uh, I'd start with Rodak. I don't think there's much argument there on the right. Although I said I don't want to see Dennis Adore at right back too often, I think I actually probably would play him there just because he's going to have to come inside a lot and almost play as an auxiliary centre-back slightly to the right of Hector just because of a Bamiyang cutting in. I'd probably actually probably want to see Adore there. Um, then I would have Hector of kind of thought about this and it's going to have to um, for the moment I don't think there's anyone in there to take that left centre back spot um, from him I wouldn't put Maxime LaMarshall in there just yet um, unless Tim Ream starts absolutely dreadfully and we don't have anyone else to go with uh, I'd probably go with Joe Bryan at left back I don't as you say I don't think Anthony Robinson has any reason to take that spot off him um, as it stands um, midfielders I would start with Harrison Reed in the six and Gisa as the eight and I'd probably go with Kenny at 10. Uh, and then up front, it's got to be Mitrovic. You know, he's had some good games for Serbia in recent games as well in the Nations League. We've got, I'd still have Ivan Caviero on the left. I don't think he showed us his best moments in the championship last season, but he has undeniable quality on his day. So I'd go with Caviero and I'd agree with Faz and go with the Bubakar Kamara on the right-hand side. Very good. Uh, my team is very close to yours, Adam, a little bit closer. Um, I'd go Rodak, Christie, Hector, Reem, Brian, Reed, Angisa, Kearney. I'd start a Bubakar Kamara on the left um, and I'd start Knockout on the right just because I think the balance of the two of them will allow us a little bit more on the break and you want Kamara cutting in on his stronger foot. Uh, and then Mitro on top after scoring an absolute worldie of a tap-in for <laughs> Serbia. Um, you know, only only the world's best number nine would have scored a goal of, of that quality uh, in the Nations League. So, shouts out to Alexander Mitrovic. And, uh, right, that's pretty much it from us. Uh, we will be back on Thursday, where, where on Fulhamish Extra, Dom is chatting to Arsenal fan Harry Simeu from Chronicles of Aguna. And Sammy will be doing an FPL chat with George Singer and Dara Curran. The code to join our FPL League, if you haven't already, is 31H32S. Uh, and it'll also be on our Twitter and Instagram and all of your other channels. Uh, so make sure you get involved. We've got nearly a thousand people in the league, I think, um, which means it should be entertaining. Uh, I think George Singer actually won it last year. So uh, anyone that can dethrone Singer, uh, I owe you a pint. Um, and all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Farrell Monk. Thank you very much, Jack. 
And thank you very much to Adam Farkarson. Cheers, thank you. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Fulhamish, your independent voice of Fulham FC. And we're back in the Premier League, baby. We'll see you very shortly. Take care. Bye. Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hey, it's Maria Hinojosa here. And Julio Ricardo Varela. We are the co-hosts of the Roundtable podcast, In the Thick, where we talk about politics, race, and culture from a people of color perspective. That's right. Every Tuesday and Friday, we bring you the latest political news, covering the stories and issues that matter to communities of color with amazing POC journalists, activists, and academics from all over the country. So you're not going to want to miss our coverage because we have a lot of fun. We do. Which means that on election night, November 3rd, we are going to be hosting a live virtual show to give you the much-needed POC perspective on this crucial night in our country. Follow us on social media at In The Thick Show to make sure you don't miss the updates and this live analysis. Subscribe to In The Thick wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, A-cast. 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 A-cast